But the one common thing that you'll find in every single one of them is belief. They had an unshakable belief system in their in themselves and what they were doing. Because as you build anything, you're going to be constantly have that, you know, that that verbiage out there that's going to oh you can't do that or you're not good enough. That might even be something that you think about yourself, but once you turn on that belief system, nothing anybody says or does is going to stop you from achieving your goal. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Caged Vision podcast and this week we have a very special guest, Stephen Clark and he's got some exciting things he's going to tell us about and Stephen, as uh, with each guest that we have, I like to start off with something just a, a little silly, I guess some people might say. So here we go. Rapid fire, steak or fish? Steak. Steak. All right. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Mountains. I love it. Yeah. East or West Coast? West Coast. West Coast. Do you, I want our listeners to see how decisive this man is. This is going to be a good podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Super decisive. All right. Well, as you know, Stephen, this is the Caged Vision podcast. Each week, our goal is to provide encouragement and confidence to those listeners who are either they're, they're in a business and they want to do more. They want to challenge themselves to do more, or maybe they've, they've been sitting on an idea. And they've got a vision for their life that's a little bit more. They want to try something. They're just stuck on go. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. And, uh, and we call that caged vision. And so what all of our conversation is wrapped around, how do we help these folks uh, move these ideas forward? So if we could, just to kind of get everybody familiar with you and your story, mm-hmm. um, let's take a spin back in the Wayback Machine and tell us, how you first knew that you had this thing called vision and, and, and for the audience, I'm using air quotes here, vision. It's something that, um, you know, you were thinking about, maybe, maybe it just sort of con- started to consume you. And then you figured out, man, I gotta, I gotta nurture this thing. I can't just think about things. Right. So for me, it was a, an early age. I grew up uh, very poor. And um, so I knew very, very early on, as I was told that I couldn't have things. Uh, because we couldn't afford them, that mm. that was never going to be me. Um, so I, I mean, I've been nurturing it. I was nurturing it when I was, you know, five, six years old. Once I could understand that the situation we were in, and then as I went to school and I, you know, hung out with other kids who who were obviously better off, I realized that you know this is this is something. I, I mean, money was a was a was really the an equalizer in in society, and I wanted to have it. In fact, I wanted to have a lot of it. Mm. So I started nurturing the idea at a very, very young age. Okay. So when, when you were told we can't have things because we couldn't afford it, that was it, uh, was it, was it a sort of a sense of embarrassment or was it sort of a, was there anger there that you said, this isn't fair? Yeah. So for me, I mean, for a lot, and I know, you know, lots in, 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 in both cases, but for me, it was this sense of, of, um, not even anger. It was a, it was a more of a sense of um, it was kind of a an action uh, motivator for me. Okay. I realized if I wanted things, and I started uh, at a very young age. I started acquiring things um, that we couldn't afford, but I started kind of creating ways that I could. I got my first bike, for example, by going to the dump and getting all these parts and 
and building my first bikes. And so I had a bike, even though I was told you know, by my parents that we couldn't afford that. Um, so just things like that. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily anger. Um, it wasn't embarrassment because fortunately for me, I was always the best athlete in the school um, and obviously went on to become a professional athlete. But so it was just, I was in this, in this certain kind of mindset that I just did not want this to happen to me. And I was going to yeah. do whatever necessary to make sure it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I want to make sure that I, that I highlight a couple of things that you said. Um, yeah. I, I want to go into uh, when you knew you were good enough to possibly be a professional athlete and sort of that the vision of what it's going to take. But before that, you were told you can't afford a bike and what you didn't take no for an answer. <laughs> and yeah. I love yeah. you went, you went, Stephen, you went dumpster diving for a bike. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. Oh, you, Even better than that. I tell you the, the the funny thing about that because I was the best athlete always in the school, um, so I I mean obviously put down put this terrible bike together and I and I got some spray paint and I painted it. I mean it looked like crap and and I look back now and I laugh. But the funny thing about that was because of my popularity, because of my athletic ability, everyone wanted me to make a bike for them. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and that's, that was my first business, actually, when I was, I don't even remember, seven or eight, whatever, uh, making bikes. And really? Would, um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I would make bikes. And then the funny thing about that is I, 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 think, I, I think I was up to like 12 bikes or whatever. And then I, I decided, because now I had this little kind of group of people who yeah. had all these bikes that I had made. And then I started kind of putting them together and we started delivering uh, you know, things like fish and chips and stuff like that. Back in the day, delivery wasn't a big thing. Um, and so we actually, we actually started doing things like that, uh, paper routes and all these different things. And we were doing it with the bikes that I had built. Um, oh, I love it. So you were, you were Uber Eats before Uber Eats. I was, uh, I tell you, I was, a, I was an entrepreneur at a young age. And, uh, um, and I don't know, by the way, I get asked this often, especially when I'm speaking in, in, in front of uh, large groups. And they say, well, how did you, you know, become an entrepreneur. I think it was that desire that I just wanted more and it was a kind of a natural transition. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, the, um, what you just described, and I, and I want to keep coming back for our listeners, listen what Stephen did. He created, in the technology world, they call that a minimum viable product. <laughs> the MVP, right? yes. You created an MVP. Yeah. And when you did that, people said, hey, can you do that for us? Your business, if you're thinking about doing something in your business, it's really no different, is it, Stephen? Absolutely no different at all. And my, my advice to the listeners is, is that, especially in today's day and age, because I've built businesses now for the last you know, 35 years, and the reality is, is that, and I, by the way, just so your listeners know, I'm building the biggest one right now mm. uh, in my 50s. So that's kind of neat when you look at it. And I was at a tech conference the other day and, and I asked how many of the tech people are going to have a $10 billion business in the next five years and not one hand went up except mine. There you go. And, I love it. And they were all like, what? What about yeah. who? What's this old guy doing? But, it, you know, it was kind of funny about, about that. So, and we are partly tech, but, um, but yeah, I think it was just one of those things, uh, Gary, that it was just, I, I just, you know, I had this idea and I acted on it. Yeah. That's, and I think oh action is going to be the big thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I talked to uh, someone the other day and he said, acting is yeah, acting on it. Acting sure. on it is the, is the, number one thing that he did. Um, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what about, so talk about the, your, you, you figure out, Hey, I'm, I'm a pretty good athlete. When did you know 
I could go pro and, and, and sort of talk to me about the vision of what that took. Yeah, that was a, that was kind of um, an interesting thing. Cause I was always like, you know, the best athlete. I was always um, in all sports. I did many, many, many sports. And then when I got 15, 16, um, I was actually sat down by a number of, uh, of coaches and uh, um, from the different sports that I was playing. And they, and they told me, they said, you can be a professional athlete at a number of sports. Mm. Uh, however, if you focus, you know, we can guarantee it. If you focus on one, if yeah. you hone your skills now on one, what is it that is, you know, that, that you love to do. Yeah. Um, and obviously for me as a Canadian, it was hockey. And so yeah. it was an easy decision for me. Um, even though I was offered scholarships, um, you know, when I turned 18 to universities in the United States to, to run track and to, and to play football in particular, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'd already made the decision that that's where I, so I had focused on that. So um, I knew really from the age of, you know, 15, 16, that I was going to be a professional athlete, save, you know, any injuries or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yet again, another great takeaway, because here's the thing. Yeah. You could have been good at several things, mm -hmm. but what did your coaches say? What did your mentors say? It's no different than a business coach helping you identify. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good, good to great. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Good yeah. to great. It's like, you could be good at it at all that you are already good at these other ones, but if you want to be great, you need to focus on that, mm -hmm. which is exactly what I did. I love it. Okay. So tell me about the one thing that you think separates someone with an idea from a business leader than someone with a vision that sees it through because you've done that. Right over and over and over again mm -hmm. and you've mentioned action or taking action but for our listeners sometimes they feel like maybe uh well they you know talking about it is action that's not action no. so here's the here's the reality and i've and i've studied this by the way in depth i've read pretty much any autobiography on any successful person that you could think of i've i know some of them i've talked to them i've interviewed some of them to get this knowledge and I can tell you what it boils down to. There's a lot of successful people out there that have done a lot of things, but there's one, one common thing in all of these successful. Yes, you know, they discipline and all this, people talk about that. But the one common thing that you'll find in every single one of them is belief. They had an unshakable belief system in, their, in themselves and what they were doing. Because as you build anything, you're going to be constantly have that, you know, that, that verbiage out there that's going to, oh, you can't do that, or you're not good enough. That might even be something that you think about yourself. But once you turn on that belief system, nothing anybody says or does is going to stop you from achieving your goal. Okay, so you pro we probably have some listeners that are saying right now, yes, yeah, Stephen, um, and maybe, yeah, Carrie, uh, but how do you get that belief system? Yeah, my, mine was uh, mine. And I've always been and still today, I do have the same thing. I've always had mentors. And I believe, you know, I believe it's very, very difficult to be successful without mentors. Right. Surround yourself with people who are going to inspire you, encourage you, uplift you, uh, who are going to help you get to where you want to go. I mean, I was fortunate because at 19, I signed my first professional hockey contract. And based on professional athletes, we're surrounded with mentors. We have agents, we have managers, we have coaches. And so when I transitioned into the corporate world, um, it, was pretty, it was pretty simple into the business world for me to have mentors. 
Uh, and so I strongly suggest because those are the people that will fuel the fire of that belief and keep you on track. Mm, very good. Very good. Okay. So after your professional career, uh, sort of the first, uh, may, maybe take me to the first business when you're building on an idea, it's formed. Um, how did you go about testing it and validating the idea? Well, for me, it was a little bit different because I, I got hurt. I, I played five years. I blew up my knee. I couldn't play anymore. And so I got introduced to a new industry, uh, which was advertising. And um, I was introduced to that mainly because of, of you know, my, my, uh, who I was and, and who I knew. And I, I went to work for a really large company and I, I absolutely fell in love with it. I, I just, uh, I couldn't believe how exciting it was. The, my creative mind, which I didn't even know I had. In fact, I became a creative business strategist, which I still am today. Um, and so I, I spent actually four years there, but I can tell you that within the first two to three months of being there, I already knew that this was going to be in my next business, mm. that I was going to go because I didn't know anything about it. Uh, fortunately for me, the president um, was a huge hockey fan. <laughs> got to every Friday, we had our little six pack and he asked me about hockey and I got to ask him about advertising. So I literally got a four year uh, MBA while I was working at this company. And then at 29, I said, that's it. I can do this. I'm going to do my own. Yeah. Uh, I love the industry. I just got an education and now it's time for me to go out and do this on my own. Good, good, good. Okay. So you go out, uh, you start out on your own. Um, you know, obviously there's probably tons of learning that happens. When did you know it was fine tuned and you were ready to put gas on it? So I, w once I started, I mean, I already had a plan for, for whatever reason, uh, again, maybe from a young age or whatever, I, I, I became the strategist. I was, and, and it was kind of something I, I, you know, I became a master chess player. I, I was kind of, I had this mind that could see like three and four steps ahead. And so when I created my business um, and again, surrounded myself with mentors, I realized right away that in business, I needed to create a point of difference. Um, and not just because I was an ex-professional hockey player and because I really didn't know anybody. I still had only four years, um, you know, in the business world, let alone advertising. So I needed to create a point of difference. And I was able to do that by through the, through the, what I'd learned in those four years, understanding where the, where the flaws were, where the, where the challenges were, mm -hmm. where I could create a company that would fill that void and be able to go to clients with right up front introducing my point of difference that was that made sense it was just logical why wouldn't you want to have everything under one roof and deal with the company that's going to be subbing it out all over the place and that really was how i created my business so when you go talk to an executive how does that work how do you go to them and say hey i've been in this market and i've seen this and i see a gap here and i've created this how, how do you have that conversation so when i went when i went to them at first i mean my first client and i and by the way uh, and every every listener should should understand this very uh, you know <laughs> listen very carefully to this because it does require some luck along the way. Oh, absolutely. And you're, you're going to have something. So I, uh, I had a great network because of my background, because of uh, professional sports, and I tapped into that big time. But I went to them and basically just said, listen, I was four years at this company, and during that time, I found some real challenges that uh, the way clients were treated. And so now I've created my own, in my own company to address those and to fill those voids. And this is what I've done. And I really, 
And the interesting thing was the advice I was given by the president of that of, of the company I worked for and who was my mentor even after I'd left. He said to me, just be yourself. Just just mm-hmm. have conversations with people. You never have, don't try to convince anybody to do anything. Um, if you have a good value proposition for people and you're providing value, then they'll see it. And that's how you'll build your business. Mm, and good. that's exactly what I did, Carrie. That's all I did. I just explained what we had. Some of them saw it. Some of them didn't. I didn't. Everybody I talked to didn't. I didn't get. But um, but I then I got lucky very early on where there was this small company, uh, one person. <laughs> they had one person in uh, Toronto. They just opened up the office, and that company was called. Uh, well, we referred to them as SAP, uh, but it was uh, SAP. SAP. And that was. Uh, for your SAP listeners, was a client. Uh, well, SAP. <laughs> so SAP had one employee in Toronto. A guy came up, Brian Plug came up from Silicon Valley. They just opened, and I got them. And this oh was God. in like like early. This was around nineteen ninety. Yeah. So for your listeners who don't understand, they were the only software uh, developer at the time that had a four digit code. And so when we got closer to the year 2000, everyone was freaking out about Y2K. SAP was the one that had the solution. And I happened to have them as a client. And I did millions and millions and millions of dollars with SAP uh, because of that. So I got lucky. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you know what? It it takes, you know what? But let's go back to the first thing you said, unless you take action, unless you put put yourself out there and you start. And by the way, you also said, you're going to get criticized. I, I, I'd like to sort of derail the conversation just a bit because I want to talk about the criticism that you may have faced and how you, that, that, that belief system that you kept going back to because just because you take action, just because you start, uh, what I've found is when you get out of the comfort zone that everybody wants to put you in, yep. they don't like it. Right. And you're going to face criticism. Oh, they're, sure. they're going to try to stoke fears. Absolutely. And it's not because, what I've found, it's, it's not because it's anything personal against you. It's because they didn't have the courage to do it. Absolutely. And people, let's face it, people don't want to get left behind. Right. And if they see you and you're doing all this great stuff and everything, of course, they're going to be jealous. So they look for some type of a critical thing to say. And, you know, that that's just uh, that's almost human nature. And those are the types of things that I was criticized as well. And especially me, because I was told by the president when I resigned that within the next, you know, three to four years, I could be I could probably become the youngest president right. in the history of Canadian advertising. Yeah. And it was like, and my response, which was, I look back on it now and I'm thinking like, you're not that clever, but I actually said to him, yeah, but if I leave today, tomorrow, I'll be the youngest president of my own company. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, so yeah, so, but criticism is going to come in. We have to, once you, here's the great thing about that. When you develop that, that belief system in yourself, whether it's to be an athlete or a, a business you know, executive or an entrepreneur or whatever, that criticism, you know, has less and less bearing on, on you. And in fact, sometimes you don't even hear it. No. Like, um, and when we first, because what will happen, Carrie, is you'll have that emotional reaction, Mm -hmm. which we all get, right? right? A lot of times it's anger or, you know, and you start questioning or whatever. But once you get this belief system and you build up and you know what you're doing, that doesn't happen at all. You get sometimes, in fact, you just kind of smile. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, 
And, and the other thing your l- listeners should know is it never goes away. It doesn't, but the more <laughs> action, the more action you take, yeah. uh, the more likelihood you and chances you're going to have to be successful. And the more successes you get, even small wins, that builds an armor of protection against sure. this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely no question about it um, okay so talk to me we, we started out and you and i were chatting a little bit before we got started yeah. uh tell me about the next 10 years sounds like you've got something super exciting going on yeah so for me it was uh, it's i i've always viewed from a very young age that um and as i went through what i call the chapters of my life i realized very very young that that uh, life is like a book i mean there's these chapters and you're going through and each and every chapter and you kind of build on it and you learn from it. And so um, when I, when I sold and, and retired very briefly, um, you know, my wife and I were kind of looking for what's the next chapter going to be. <laughs> I'm uh, laughing because yeah. I can see you on this call. You yeah. the listeners, we're doing a zoom call and I can, yeah. you do not look like a guy that's ever going to retire. <laughs> no, no, no. In fact, we, we did. I moved to, we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona um you know we got a big house we're gonna we're gonna golf every day with all my ex hockey buddies and you know six weeks into that um i remember walking up the stairs to our master bedroom we had this huge balcony there looking over the mountains and and i was thinking i wonder how my wife is going to take this when i tell her that <laughs> i just can't do this anymore i'm, I'm miserable it's been somebody, right yeah <laughs> so it was like uh so i walked up and i said to her sweetie you know we have to find something to do i, I just i can't do this anymore yeah. and she was like oh thank goodness this oh, wow. is the most boring time i've ever spent so uh so so we what we decided to do and it took us literally a few years to do we traveled around for a bit to make this decision but we decided that we were fortunate in life yeah. and uh that it was time to really give back and uh, and leave a legacy mm. and um we weren't sure what that was going to be uh went to my mother we all go to our mothers uh, for advice and my mother uh was always and because she was poor and um and, uh, you know, she said, I just don't understand this homelessness situation. Mm. Why are there any people that are homeless? Can you fix that solution? Uh, or you can, can, can you fix that problem? So I said, I made a commitment to her. Um, and I said, yes, I will. And through the research, because, of course, I'm an advertising guy, we started researching and everything. Um, we, we re- you know, we un- unveiled all these interesting things that I had no idea especially about the millennials Mm. and we literally became millennial experts based on the research and we decided that we were going to build a new for-profit social enterprise built on millennials that would offer full transparency 100% transparency around giving and making sure that they were going to win more than they put in and so we built this new model three years ago and it was all it's centered around feeding so when people we formulated and we now manufacture a non-gmo certified organic food people buy that food from us so in the united states we just opened in new york you'll buy that food from us for 39 dollars and 70 cents a month but we take that food and let's say it was you, Carrie, we take it in your name and we would send it to one of our charity partners, which sends you the tax receipt for the 3970. Got it. So now we'd say to, and we said in our focus groups, so Carrie, uh, what is it that you're giving the charity? Mm, food. How much of the food do you think is going back to the end user? Well, all of it. And we're charging $1.32 a meal for non-GMO certified organic 
food. Is, you think that's good? Yes. And by the way, this was extremely important to us and we and we will defend this forever. We feed North Americans. There's almost 50 million people going hungry in North America. And there's this, the largest food charities in North America are not feeding anybody in North America. I understand there's, you know, children dying in Africa and right, things like right. that. And I think we should do something about them, but not at the expense of our own people. Let's keep uh. 20% or 30% back of the money we draw and make sure it's focused in North America. So yeah. our main focus over the next five years is to do that. We build collaborative programs because we give back some of our money to other causes, building homeless shelters, scholarships for kids. And our five-year uh, goal by 2025, through this model in Canada, United States, we uh, are projected to feed 20 million people a month. That is cool. People, that is a caged vision that is unlocked. I love that. Yeah. You know yeah. what, Stephen, how long had your mother been thinking about that idea? Probably since, um, I'm sure for, for 25 years. Yeah. I mean, my mother was obviously a saint everywhere. All mothers are saints. And, but my mother, um, you know, when I signed my professional contract, I was able to financially help them, you know, for the first time in their life. And, and, um, and that was the other thing that really bothered me because that was going through. And I was thinking to myself, what would have happened if what happens to people who don't have children that help or whatever, um, you know, cause our governments aren't doing that. And yeah. that's why a lot of these people end up on the street and things like that. So yeah, she had been thinking about that for a long time. I knew because I remember asking her when I sat down and said, mom, I'm, you know, I'm back from traveling. Now I'm going to make a difference. You know, what do you want me to do? And it was pretty instantaneous where she said, well, I, 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 in fact, her exact words were, I would like you to end homelessness. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, whoa, uh, that's a big <laughs> or, one. Yeah, that's a big one. Well, now uh, I know where you get your decisiveness <laughs> from. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was her. She gave it to me right away. And, and I remember my wife sitting there looking at me like, whoa, uh, how much did she think we sold our business for? Like, yeah, Bill Gates. Right. So. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, that, that was uh, so the food that uh, someone sponsors the food. The food goes where? to a participating charity. So in the United States, we're doing a deal with Feed America. Um, right now we have a deal with the New York um, City Food Banks. So it, it will go basically we partner. Yeah, so we partner with what I call food distribution companies, which are the charities, which are able to take that food from the, from the persons who we ship it to them, but it gets shipped in the name of the person who purchased it from us, which is why they can send you back the tax receipt. Mm. Uh, and also they can send it because of the price point, because we're cheaper than any other charity doing the same thing. So, yeah. uh, and, and so that's how that happens. So you get the tax receipt. We also, by the way, have a discount mobile app so that as long as people are feeding that, they get access to our app, which will save them way more than it actually costs them to feed that person. Mm. So that every touch point, Carrie, and this is what I learned in business, and this is why uh, you know, sustainability was also always important for me. So now we have a, a model because why would somebody, if you're out there and you're using it for travel, our discount app for travel and restaurants and bars and hotels, um, why would you stop if you're saving $3,000 or $5,000 a year? Why would you stop feeding somebody for $474 a year when you get a tax receipt as well? Yeah, yeah, that's a no-brainer. 
exactly. So oh. it's a sustainable program that will go on and on. And now I might, I might add, we actually have the charities coming to us because the charities have this problem, right? Millennials don't want to give because where's my money going mm -hmm. and you know, what's in it for me. So these are, these are things that charities have real problems with. So now we have, you know, organizations like United Way and Diabetes and, and large organizations coming to us and saying, can you build programs for us where through feeding, we can provide more value to, to our people and you can also then give the money that you're going to give back, you can give it back to us. And yeah. that's what we're doing right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. So very smart. I know we've got so many listeners right now that are saying, <laughs> oh my gosh, how do I get in touch with Steven? So Steven, how do they do that? What's the best so, way? So right now we have, um, so our company is RTG Group Inc. So it's just rtggroupinc.com. By the way, um, RTG was created out of my, a conversation with my mom where she always told me it's better to give than to receive. And I always argue with her, but RTG stands for receiving through giving. Ah. Uh, so that's how I created that. And so it's rtggroupinc.com. Uh, you can go there, you can check out the website, see what we're doing, uh, and you can certainly contact me. Uh, it's just S. Clark, it's S-C-L-A-R-K-E, at rtggroupinc.com. So very good. All right, last question. Yeah. If you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Uh, yeah, I've been asked this, I mean, a hundred times, and it's the same answer every time. Practice patience. Be patient. Everybody wants everything right away. And um, the problem is, is we make terrible decisions based on being impatient. And when I've looked back, any, all of the mistakes, literally every single mistake I made when I was younger and everything I did was made because I was just impatient. And now when I look at things and when I do things, as I've created and I've developed that patience, it's amazing how, how, many, uh, how many less mistakes you'll make because of that. Yes, there's a great book called The Road Less Stupid. Yeah, 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 I know it. You know about it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. great book, and he talks about I mean, essentially the same thing. Like, I've yeah. made making terrible mistakes. Of course, I've made mistakes uh, myself, and uh, you're right. With a little bit of patience and not just rushing into it, man, that would have saved a lot. All right. <laughs> a lot of time and money. <laughs> oh, my goodness. For yeah. me, I could look back and like millions of dollars it would have saved. And, and the young kid, and here's the thing. People say, well, young generation today. No, it's not the young generation today. I was the same. I remember when I got a little success and I wanted to do this. And I ended up because I sold part of my business because I wanted extra money to get a Jag and a big car and everything like that. And that came back to haunt me. And it ended up costing me millions of dollars to get rid of that guy. And I'll never forget that. And th these are things that you learn. And, and I say it to everybody, and I, met, I have a young mentoring club, which I mentor all these young entrepreneurs. And that's the first thing I say to them, you got to be patient. And they're all, they're all the same thing. Well, I want to, yeah, I know it'll come. You got to be patient. Yeah. Put work, put in the time. And well, you know, particularly for that, for that group, I mean, the younger generation, they get that uh, with their, with the cell phone, right? You get that dopamine hit over, and over and over and over again. Yeah. That, that does not speak to patience at all. No, you no are, it doesn't. <laughs> you got an uphill battle there. <laughs> exactly. No, they're actually, they're pretty good too, because I just, you know, one of the things that my, my group, whenever I, I mentor young people, it, you know, they love the stories, right? They just love stories. And I've got, you know, a million of them. So we talk about that and I share those, those stories. I always build in like the story when I, when I took on the partner, uh, not because I needed it because we were doing quite well, but because I wanted extra money so I could get, 
that house and car and everything. And then it ended up costing me about, you know, $4 million about five years later. Uh, you know, and all I had to do was wait another year and a half even, and I would have had enough money to have the house and car. So mm. when you, when you relay the stories and everything that you can literally see them going and say, Oh yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that. Right. I don't, I don't want that to end up me. So they're, 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 you know, they, they do learn. And um, that's why I think the greatest generation I believe will go down in history is the millennials and possibly even the Zeds who are coming up in a lot of the same characteristics, but they do want to make a difference in the world. Uh, they are big learners and uh, 62% of all graduating students today want to become entrepreneurs. And that is just like the greatest stat ever for me. Uh, I'm like, yes, yeah, that absolutely. So cool. That's yeah. the way to take control of your life. So. Oh, I love it. Hey, Stephen, the goal of this podcast is to provide encouragement and confidence to our listeners. You have delivered Thank you. Thank you for my your pleasure. stories. Thank you yeah. for sharing your advice. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.